All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Spotlight series, where we highlight entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem supporters that are building our startup ecosystem. We've been talking to founders consistently over the last four years, and we want to use this series to keep tabs on the companies being, being built here. Today, we're talking with Akil Nair of Xena Intelligence, being built in Louisville, Kentucky. Xena Intelligence is an AI e-commerce enablement tool that helps businesses grow their business, uh, whether they're building on Shopify, Amazon, Walmart, or marketplaces similar to those. So we're thrilled to be joined by Akil here. Akil, last time I saw you, I think you had just won the Five Across Pitch competition. So I know that was a while back. There's been a lot that's gone on since then, but uh, it's been cool to see you grow your business here in this ecosystem. So we're excited to dive into it, hear how things have been going for you, and learn a little bit more about Xena Intelligence. So welcome to Middle Tech. Thanks, Logan. I am beyond honored to be um, on the podcast um, and even more to know you and everyone else in the ecosystem. Ever since I moved from Boston about a year, year and a half back, um, everyone's been so supportive. And the very fact that even before moving to Louisville, um, and I came across your podcast, the Middle Tech podcast, I came to know the the massive amount of activity that was happening, the massive amount of support that entrepreneurs, investors, and all the well-wishers were getting. So it would not be unfair to say that your podcast and the message that you got across through all the founders and investors was one of the reasons that uh, encouraged me to move from Boston to Louisville. Wow, that is mm -hmm. quite some praise to kick us off with. That is awesome <laughs> to hear that. I mean, that is, that's why we do it. And I think that's a great place to kick off this interview with. So we always love hearing stories of people that you know relocated themselves and their businesses from other ecosystems to this ecosystem. So tell us about uh, you know your background. What were you doing in Boston, and what made you decide to come here to, to Louisville, Kentucky? Of course. So I am a first generation immigrant. So I moved. I from India. I moved to Boston to do my schooling uh, over there. Uh, most specifically, my MBA. Uh, during which time I realized that there was a lot of potential, and this was just before the pandemic, to help uh, early stage businesses navigate the e-commerce space. Um, and I realized that there was a big need in the market for uh, a software or solution or a service to help these brands grow. So that's when the e-commerce journey started for me. Uh, Boston was great. I loved it. It was the first city that I experienced when I came to the US, um, everyone was super kind, very supportive. Um, and during the early stages, very, very early stages of building Xena, I was fortunate to have been selected uh, in the render competition of that year, a couple of years back. When I got through the first round, I did not realize, uh, you know, when early on you apply to everything, you really don't know what the stipulations are. So one of, when I went through uh, the second round, I realized that one of the criteria for accepting the $100,000 uh, of uh, investment was that the founder needs to relocate to Louisville for at least a year. Um, and so that was, it was very interesting for me because I did hear of a couple of other places that do similar things. Like I think Colorado has one um, and uh, probably Tempe, Arizona. There were a few cities that in which there were similar situations there. And I got into a few of them as well. Um, and so then I spoke with my wife and like, Hey, listen, you know, I got this hundred thousand dollar investment and it was very early. Like I had like maybe two customers at that time and barely an idea. Uh, and so I told her like, Hey, listen, we might have to move to Louisville. 
She's like, absolutely not. That is not <laughs> going to happen. I don't even know where Louisville is. Uh, so I said, you know, Louisville, it's near Chicago. So, you know, it's not that bad. Um, and so, and so she was like, no, that's not going to happen because she spent a lot of time. Her parents are in New Jersey. She spent time in Boston with me. So I'm like, okay, then I may as well say no to this opportunity. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them that, you know, sorry, I cannot accept this investment. And so they invited us to visit Louisville for a couple of days. So I told my wife that. And so we made the trip and we met everyone. We met everyone from Render, Endeavor. I think we met a lot. I think I reached out to Evan also at that time. I think he was mm-hmm. traveling. Um, so I I reached out to a lot of people. Um, and then at the end, it was a great time. So I realized that, you know, it's maybe it's time for me to tell them that, sorry, I won't be accepting. Maybe give it to some other startup uh, in my place. And then when I was going back, my wife said, you know, maybe maybe we should move. And that kind of took me by surprise because I did not expect that. But uh, she, I'm very glad that she said that. And her reasons for saying yes was very much validated. Once we moved in, strong community, mm-hmm. everyone's super supportive. And even as a startup, people don't realize the exponentially higher value that you get from being a part of the community, not just through investments, not just through expertise, but just the people rooting for you. And I don't think you get that from any major city out there just because it's inundated with a lot of startups. So I think it overall, it's been a great experience and I'm very glad. And the one year is done. I could have moved out anytime, but I am proudly, uh, I'm very proud to call Louisville my home right now. Well, that's awesome to hear that you know, after that visit, everything kind of turned out to to be true for, for both you and your wife. And I think that's something we hear consistently over and over again is about the community. And, you know, I, I like kind of digging into what does that actually mean? You know, being part of a community, it's it sounds like kind of warm and fuzzy and it's like good buzzwords and everything. But mm-hmm. really, when you're here and when you're in this startup community, what does that actually get you as a startup founder? At the end of the day, it kind of boils down to connections and people being willing to help you out with like, hey, I know this person, this might be a useful person for you to talk to. Hey, here's my experience, you know, from doing this, you know, overcoming this challenge that maybe you're having right now. It's just that kind of sharing of knowledge and connections that that's like the real tangible stuff of what a community gives you. And so it sounds like you've found that here just through the people that you've connected with that you kind of mentioned there, which is awesome to hear. Um, and I want to talk more about, you know, some of the other community aspects, just kind of while we're on the topic here. So you mentioned the render competition, which sounds like it was awesome for you. I, right at the mm-hmm. beginning there, I also mentioned the the five across um, pitch competition. Just kind of briefly touch on, on you know, your interactions with Awesome Inc. and kind of how that all plays into this community feel that we have in this area, because I think mm-hmm. that is one of our big strengths uh, in Kentucky. Undoubtedly, I think I can give like two very specific examples of how we call it quote unquote community uh, supported me in during the early stages. So when I moved here, um, I was very excited to, you know, make as much connections as possible. And at that time I knew nobody. Um, and so I reached out to a few people like Larry from Amplify render themselves were kind of very kind to connect us with other entrepreneurs. I met with everyone. I also had a conversation with Evan, uh, at that time. And so, you know, the first time we spoke, we know very little about each other. And I told him, Hey, you know, we've, we have 10 customers now. I think we are ready to fundraise. And so he, he, along with a lot of other people told me that, you know, it will not be like New York. It will not be like Boston or San Francisco where, you know, there will be a line of VC shops right down the streets where you can knock on the doors one at a time. Um, and you just need to 
prove yourself before you get um get that kind of support that you need so what he did and i think is one of the kindest things that anyone has ever done for me is he shared his list of investors that he reached out to not just the list not just the names but with comments where this investor typically invests this this is this kind of investor this investor prefers this these are the contact this is the contact information email linkedin and i think he shared his own investor pipeline which means that where the conversations were i think i and he didn't even know me at that time it was i think one of the kindest thing that he did it unlocked so much potential for me i think that is one example of community coming together to help out um the second example so steven plappert of forecaster he was also you know everyone knows him everyone likes him he's extremely selfless and supportive so much so that again i have never met him in person but he invited me to attend one of the founder beers uh, i think it happens the first wednesday of every month so i went there again i didn't know everybody i was scared of meeting i have that social anxiety like a lot of people do uh, but he's so i met him and so he's like hey akhil come over here so i'm like okay cool so he took me near the bar and there was this one person standing there uh you know just you know tall fellow with like a flowing beard and he's like hey you know just talk to him and so i'm like hey i'm i'm akhil i'm with sina he's like no i I've, i've heard everything about you steven told me everything about you why don't you um send me a wiring information i'm like what wiring if i use maybe he's asking for my mobile number i don't know but he said no 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 just send me so i'm like okay fine i'll i'll send him and then he's like i hope you'll be willing to accept my investments right now i'm like what are you kidding me right now i i mean you know i would i would give my right arm at that point for uh, any kind of investment and so that's another example and he did invest the very next day just i think it's it's unbelievable like when other people are pitching for you with no ulterior motive with no a uh, reason for them to do that i think that's that is wonderful and it's been great like that and this is just a few examples i have also from my part tried to encourage um you know other entrepreneurs that i meet and that mm-hmm. those who move over here as much as i can just because i need to give back and that plays into what awards which i was encouraged to apply for what awards amazing i think what is it 30 judges staring at you while you pitch Whew, that in itself <laughs> should be there should be an award for that um and then five across so that's i think compared to what render from what i've heard five across is way more competitive just because of the number of applications and just because that it's it's not easy to get into so i was really scared and there were two levels to it right one the monthly uh, event and then you have the grand finale mm-hmm. so i was really scared but one thing that i felt while pitching for five across the first time i came to lexington i felt like a rock star i felt like you know people yeah. are cheering and hooting even when you make an entrance there's entrance music everyone's clapping it's it's uh, it's an event that i don't think i've experienced it because usually pitch events are dry dreary and nobody's really paying attention but uh, five across you know regardless of the fact if i won or not uh, it was an amazing experience in itself and i think lexington yeah. is is amazing oh i i wish i could get more opportunities to come there as well Yeah, absolutely. Now, Awesome Inc does a great job of really just like making it fun and it's like you're there doing something that is serious as pitching a business mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself out there, but they also just make it very inviting and fun and they do a great job mm-hmm. uh of of doing that. 
Um, but something you said there that I want to I want to hit on is you know you you said that you feel like you need to give back. You need to pay it forward since you you received that. Mm-hmm. I just think that's worth calling out because as we think about as a startup ecosystem, how can we create more stories like yours of people that want to come here and not only come here but feel welcome once they're here? It's exact. It's it's that. It's paying it forward. People who have received that community. So I, I love that. And I just wanted to call that out. Um, but let's get into talking about Xena Intelligence. We haven't even really gotten to discuss much about what your business does yet. Um, so let's talk about uh, what the business does. Let's let's just kind of start with the elevator pitch, and then um, let's kind of talk a little bit. You can take that into your background, how you actually started the company, why you started the company, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So um, e-commerce is booming, massive, massive tractions. There are billions of products, millions of brands. Um, and millions of sellers out there, mostly early stage brands. So e-commerce is one of those things where regardless of how big your brand is or how small it is, it is one of those things where you have to participate in it if you have a CPG product in your portfolio. Um, And the challenge of e-commerce is, and the wonderful thing is that when you start selling, you get inundated with massive amounts of data. You get inundated with so many processes and procedures that you need to do to enable a successful brand that includes listing the products properly. The images need to be in a certain way. Backend SEO needs to be taken care of. And of course, you need to advertise or market your product in a certain way that doesn't break the bank, but at the same time, make sure that you grow. And so because of these challenges, um, a lot of brands depend on agencies or human expertise or skills to kind of help them navigate, which is great. But, you know, humans have their limitations. There's only so much, um, so much data that they can analyze. There's only so much optimizations, actions that they can do. So I figured a software could do a better job uh, at making those optimizations 24-7 at a much higher frequency than a human could. So that's how Xena began. Um, before this, I used to be an e-commerce consultant. Uh, I had a couple of clients, small businesses who I helped out in growing in the e-commerce space. Um, And so I realized that most of my time was spent in doing these small changes for their listings and ad campaigns and optimizations. And so I built a simple MVP, worked really well, and it kind of took off from there. I realized that the simple, the algorithm that I built was far more valuable than than the consulting service that I was providing earlier. So that's, that's how it kind of came about. And, you know, I, I think right now, especially in this world where AI has become kind of mainstream, all of a sudden it's like, it feels like it's really entered a new phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, your product uses AI in a lot of ways to, to do mm-hmm. a lot of this data analysis and, um, mm-hmm. you know, feed into this algorithm that is facilitating mm-hmm. a lot of the changes that you're making to these e-commerce, uh, I guess, listings or postings or websites, um, however you want mm-hmm. to phrase it. But talk about uh, kind of in a more in-depth way, how, how AI is being used to do what you're doing. Like for somebody who maybe doesn't understand all of the intricacies of how AI works, how would you explain it to somebody like that? Um, so the whole point of e-commerce, the biggest advantage is that you can reach people more effectively. You can easily identify your potential customers as opposed to in the in the traditional retail sense where you just put your products and hope somebody comes to you in the in the e-commerce world people actually come to you or you know what people are searching for and what they need mm. so the in the early stages of e-commerce 20 probably 30 years ago 
um, people started realizing that concept. And so that's where Amazon and a few others came along where they're like, hey, if people are searching for something, that means they want a certain thing. If someone's searching for Harry Potter book, they know if they show a Harry Potter book in front of them, they, they are more likely to purchase it. So that was the very core fundamental concept behind it. But as the number of products increased, as consumer trends changed, uh, it became more sophisticated. It's no longer, uh, I need uh, baby diapers. It's more like, um, what should I do? Uh, as, as What should I expect during pregnancy? Stuff like that. So then the the way to target customers became is becoming more sophisticated. It is not just simple keyword analysis. It is not just simple targeting. So that's one of the reasons why companies like Google, Facebook started using cookies where they can store prior details or prior data about customers and they can potentially use that to advertise the right product to them. Then Apple came along and said, no, you, you're not going to do that. And so they cut off all cookies. They cut off. They made it very restrictive to store that data. So then that became a huge problem. But here comes platforms like Amazon, eBay, Walmart where they don't need cookies, they know your search history, they know what you bought, they know who your family members are, they know what you're watching, and most likely they're listening into your home as well. Oh, ah, without, without a doubt. So then <laughs> platforms like that became so massive. I mean, they became like an ad engine. Even for companies like Apple, soon iPhones uh, are not just a hardware, it is a, uh, it is a data collection machine that they have built and they will probably utilize it soon enough. So then as the compli the complications, the data points started increasing, it the advertisers also started getting wary about the fact that, hey, when we ran this campaign, it's not working. Why is it not working? We are selling diapers and we are targeting people who are searching diapers. But why are we not selling? Are we not positioning a product enough? Is our pricing not good? Are our competitors doing a better job at it? So the level of complexity has increased so much that manually it is near impossible to manage the e-commerce channels for any brands. And that's where AI comes in. When I say AI, it is a combination of predictive analytics where if you have enough data, you can predict what a person might order or might look for. That means if you think a person is 90% more likely to purchase a product, if the price is 20 cents less, then you would do that. Um, and so that is just one example of the vast universe of changes thousands hundreds of millions of changes that need to happen for these brands to be successful and that is kind of where Zena comes in to the picture where one of the biggest levers for growth on e-commerce is advertising so earlier like i said the regular traditional method of advertising is almost obsolete right now and the way of targeting is immediate changes think of it as high frequency trading right so when having the ability to do intra-trading, for example, it requires a lot of expertise, a lot of quick decisions. Just like that, within a span of a day, if a software like Xena is able to quickly change your price, quickly change your targeting, quickly change your bid, you could, in essence, have the most powerful ad optimization tool uh, in the world. And so that's kind of where we are moving towards as we speak. Before highlighting our sponsors, we'd just like to state that the views and content shared on this platform do not necessarily reflect those of our show sponsors. Middletech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Office of Entrepreneurship. 
KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to be supported by an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information by clicking the link in our show notes or going to kyinnovation.com. Middletech is sponsored by Bolt Marketing. Take your website to the next level with a website that's built to work. At Bolt Marketing, they're revolutionizing websites for small businesses that are affordable, customizable, and hassle-free. Whether you have a construction company, a boutique clothing store, or you own a hot yoga studio, they have options for you. Click the link in our show notes to explore their marketing options that can transform your marketing and grow your business. And as a personal note, Bolt Marketing built our website and they were awesome to work with throughout the entire process. We highly recommend working with them. That's some crazy stuff. When Mm -hmm. you think about, I like your analogy of a phone becoming like just a data collection machine. In some ways, it's kind of a scary thing to think about just how much data a single Mm -hmm. person you know, creates when they're browsing online, using their phones, mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, you know, but it's, what are your thoughts on where this all leads to? Like, what is, what is the destination of where all this technological advance leads to in terms of data collection? Is it, you know, what, what does the future of ad optimization look like in, in targeting consumers with advertisement? Do you see it playing out as it's a good thing that it becomes hyper-personalized? And like, you know, we're only seeing, ads for things that are relevant to us and can help us out or does it go the opposite way where it's like a more of a dystopian sort of sort of future how do you view that part of it it is inevitable that it would this process would continue to evolve continue to be more sophisticated so just one example um amazon used to run on an engine called a9 algorithm so that algorithm decides what products you see um, how the products are placed and it, it makes the decision for you. And so far it's been very simplistic. It's like, Hey, you search for this, you're from this demographic, fine, show these products. And if brands are willing to pay money, okay, fine. These products are, these brands are paying money. Let's put them up. So it was, it has been like that. Uh, more recently, uh, they will soon be making the switch from a nine algorithm to a more AI driven algorithm where they think that people will no longer be searching for products. They will be asking questions and hoping for a solution like, hey, I have an itch on my right hand and it's and it, it's red. What should I do? And that's that's what they think will be the most effective use of the data that is being collected. Undoubtedly, there is li- very little doubt that the amount of data that is being collected on each and every one is is um, is massive. The only blocker right now or the only thing that is right now, it's it's very fragmented. So, for example, Amazon knows what we will likely buy. Facebook knows what we likely like to read. Twitter knows what we like, what kind of people we likely like to interact with. And every website has their own thing. Um, and if you must be aware of it as well, being in the tech space, every website that we visit um, is filled with tools to collect data. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't share your name, there are tools right now to gather who you are, what your age group is, what even your income level is, just by visiting a website without submitting any data. There are tools out there that do that. They know your email ID, they know your LinkedIn profile, they know your whole family history, just because you visited a place. They know what computer you use, they know what brands you have. It is insane. Um, the way that AI can come into the picture or the ability to collect the data is to have some kind of a centralized place where all this data is stored and that is truly dystopian that is insane that Mm -hmm. means that there could be a potential for price gouging 
where if a software thinks, oh, you you might be okay to pay 40 bucks for this product where the normal price is 20, they're going to increase that price and pay. So in a sense, I think there would be a situation where probably in 10 years from now, uh, the Amazon pricing will look different for different people. When you search for a product and I search for a product, it could be different uh, oh, wow. at the same time based on what they think you like. It could show different colors. It could show different brands. I mean, it's it's just going to, inevitably, it is going to go in that direction. So dystopian, sure. Um, potential for misuse, very, very high. Um, but um, I, it, it is inevitable. And if you ignore all the privacy concerns, it could actually be good for you where you get products at the price that you think you will be able to afford. Um, and so that could result in some good things. For example, if this software works as it's supposed to work, the current return rate of products on in e-commerce, I think is around 30%, 20 to 30%. Massive impact on the planet, massive waste, massive uh, waste of resources, uh, landfills, environmentally, it's horrible. But if this algorithm works perfectly, that, that return rate would decrease because you're most likely more likely connecting products to the right persons. So it does have a potential to have a more positive impact uh, on the planet in terms of in that specific aspect. Another good thing is that the ability to sell may not be concentrated on just a few brands. Maybe it is more lucrative for companies like Amazon to let smaller sellers sell more or succeed so that you know they earn more revenue and at the same time a lot of the early stage brands are able to compete effectively with these massive companies with massive ad budgets so in a way in that economic sense i think it's a good thing hmm. man there's so much to that we could dive into i'm sure we could spend the whole podcast talking about kind of this future that we're heading towards now that ai hmm. is coming onto the scene the way people get information on on the internet is slowly and then all hmm. at once probably going to change with with these chat interfaces with AI. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the thing to kind of take away from that is uh, with every major technological change like this, uh, there's always going to be things that seem very bad and bleak and broken. And then there's always going to be new things that emerge out of that, that, you know, there's always going to be entrepreneurs that are trying to solve problems and push things in the right direction. So I, you know, as an optimist, that's typically how I, how, how I try to view things. Otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, but let's move back to Xena Intelligence. So I, I would love to give the listeners a way to to really uh, materialize kind of what your business has done to help uh, a client of yours. So if there are any examples of a small business or, or business that you guys have helped um, through your software, would love to dive into that a little bit. Sure. So we currently work with more than 50 uh, different brands. Some of them, a couple of them are massive companies. A couple of them are private equity funded companies, but mostly, uh, and my personal favorite uh, uh, is to work with early stage brands and kind of see them grow. So one example of a great company, it's based in Louisville. It's a brand called Modica. They're run by these two people, um, fantastic entrepreneurs, very passionate about what they do um, and amazing product. Now, Amazon uh, in e-commerce in general is used to be very hard for food and beverage products because it's very subjective. Shipping is a major issue. Uh, returns are, uh, again, a major issue. So it is not easy to compete in the food and beverage space established by these massive companies with massive resources. So these guys, uh, I would like to 
think that when we started early on, we guide them through the process of how to set it up. They did a fantastic job of setting the product images. They were just beautiful, beautiful images. So when we started out, as we expected, it was pretty slow. Um, there were a few large brands out there and cocktail mixers as a category itself is not massive. So it's, it's a relatively niche space uh, and extremely subjective at that. Um, then we turned on uh, Xena's software to kind of help them reach the right people early on. And that I think played a huge role combined with absolutely great product um, and with a lot of benefits that their competitors don't have. We were able to have that initial momentum going and then because the product was good, it continued to grow. And I think now it's the top 10 cocktail mixers on Amazon. And we have been working with them for about a year. Um, and so just seeing them grow, just seeing them throughout the process of navigating e-commerce. And now e-commerce is very complicated. Um, there are situations where sales suddenly drop and then you need to know why that happened. Is it our fault? Is it Amazon's fault? Who should we reach out to? Um, stuff like that. And they were also able to get the data, use the data to launch new flavors, new SKUs that have done better than the SKUs that they had hmm. before. So I am, I'm so it's definitely, they would have grown, but I'm so honored to be a part of that growth journey with them, especially for a company from Louisville. Um, yeah. So that is one example. The second one is just one of our earliest clients. So I met this person, uh, he, we, we were in Boston. He was pitching for an angel group along with me. Um, and so his idea was that he wanted to sell paper plate, not paper plates, dis, uh, disposable plates made of bamboo leaves. Um, at that time, it was a pretty unique idea. This was three years back. Um, more expensive than paper plates, obviously, uh, imported from overseas, India. And he wanted my help. And so we met. And at that time, we sold like two plates a day. Um, it was it was very hard because it was expensive and Amazon doesn't like expensive products. But again, uh, great product, great entrepreneur. They were able to raise a lot of funds because of the growth that they sh uh, they saw on Amazon. So right now they are they sell uh, six figures. I think it's seven figures probably at this point. And we have been able to see them grow from the early stages all the way to the stage that they are. So we have expanded to Walmart and Canada and probably in Europe soon as well. So I, it, it's just that journey that you know we have taken with these customers that is like extremely enlightening and it it. I, I truly enjoyed. I can guarantee. Mm -hmm. And part of that journey that uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on is is how you've built your team around that, and specifically the the tech side of things and the the developer side of things. Mm -hmm. um, so one first question, which is kind of a yes or no question, is your team based uh, like locally or is it remote? Um, I'm pretty sure I saw. Well, I guess I'll answer this one. I I, th I mm -hmm. think it's remote, correct? It's based in India. Is that correct? My engineering team uh, is based in India. My sales and biz dev are uh, stateside. Okay, cool. So I wanted to dig into that. Um, just in terms of managing a tech team, you know, remotely and not only remotely, but in a completely different country on a completely different time zone, um, all of those things. How has that, how's that experience been for you managing your team fully remotely? It was interesting because at that time I didn't have, um, I don't have any co-founders. So I didn't have anyone who has experience or could take the role of a CTO or even a CPO product officer in that regard. So when I made my first hire, there was this young chap from India who, who I told like, listen, I have no funding. 
um, I have a couple of customers. I have this idea. I don't think a lot of people are doing it. So you will have to figure a lot of things out by yourself. Very likely things will change fast. A lot of regulations around e-commerce. So this person was very kind enough to say that, okay, I will let, let me have a crack at it. Um, and so I prayed to God because if this doesn't work, my whole idea is dead in the water basically because I didn't have any funds uh, to hire anyone full-time at that point. So this person put together something, showed it to my customers. They loved it. And so then I started to realize that uh, tech development is a whole different beast altogether. It, it, it is not so much coding. It is problem solving. That is what I realized. Like you need people who can solve problems. You don't need people who can, who know uh, 2000 lines of code by heart that can easily be achieved. So that, that realization of knowing that you need to hire people who can solve problems uh, would make all the difference in the world. And so once we got the render uh, capital money, I hired a few more people and I made sure that whichever team member joins us, they are supremely, or even though they might not have experience, they are really good in problem solving. I think that made a lot of difference. So now I have a team of 30 back in India. It was extremely uh, accomplished and just a very, very good engineer. All of them young. I think the average age is like 22 probably. Uh, oh, most awesome. of them fresh out of school. Uh, yeah, it's I, that is one thing that I've realized. So how, I guess to, to dig into that just a little bit, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but how have you gone about finding the, that talent um, in India? Did you have connections there after you kind of made your first few hires that was like, hey, help me find some other talented people or where did that talent come from? How did you how did you grow that team? Sure, yeah, I tried out a lot of things. I tried posting um, on platforms like AngelList. I tried posting on LinkedIn. Um, I tried posting on Fiverr, Upwork, all different places to kind of see if I can get talent. The one thing that worked really well for me is that I started building a relationship with a local university um, mm. there. And so I started um, sponsoring these small club events like hackathons and, you know, just give them like, I don't know, 500 bucks and, you know, we can be the title sponsor of some little event that they do. So I started building, really cranking that up. And that's where I got my first few hires from. So people fresh out of school, they are very willing, they're risk taking, they're, you know, just more than happy to kind of take the plunge with me. And of course, very interested in the idea and the ambition that we have. So more than half my team in India right now have come from that particular university from different courses. You have MBA students, you have undergrads, you have CS. So that's, that I think is, uh, would, uh, that what I would continue to do as well, because I think that's a great strategy because everyone knows everyone. And so once you get those three or four core people, um, when you need to expand, you can quickly pull from their network because they will know each other on a personal level. So I think it's like a, I think that was a good thing that we did. I think that's a great tidbit that other entrepreneurs can take away, whether that's in another country or whether that's, you know, here in your own, mm -hmm. here in Kentucky, uh, mm -hmm. you know, leveraging the universities. I'm, I'm sure they're all, all the universities mm -hmm. are always vying to help their students figure out, you know, what their mm -hmm. career paths are going to be. So I think that's mm -hmm. great. Um, speaking of learnings, one of the things we really like to try and do on this podcast is share, you know, failures, challenges, and, and wins that you've encountered along the way uh, of building this company. So uh, maybe if you just had like one major challenge slash failure that you've encountered um, along the way that you learned something from, and then one, one win uh, that you've had along the way as well, would love to share those with our audience as well. 
failures where where do i stop i mean it's it's the, <laughs> uh, usually the way it is yeah I, I, it is just massive one thing i've realized um, is the biggest challenge for me personally and probably for a lot of people um the biggest hurdle uh, the biggest destroyer of growth is is me is just my head is just my thoughts which um at times it's extremely challenging to overcome so there have been days where i wake up and i just don't feel like getting out of bed and not for any particular reason not because something specific happened it's it's just something you feel that is weighing you down or something that you feel that you're carrying around a heavy load even if things are going really well if things are not going really well which is most of the days it's it gets even worse so i realized that like those entrepreneurs who i really look up to are those who are able to overcome themselves their own drawbacks their own personal follies realizing it and overcoming it so for example steven plappard again forecaster i had a private conversation with him we were talking about mental health and he made it clear that he believes one of his traits is that he's very open about his feelings with his team he does not hold back he is very animate he's very emotional he makes it very clear and so i i had a counterpoint to him that you know i i try to hide it i try to suppress it i try to put up a confident face when i have my daily stand up with my team and so we had a very lively discussion on you know which which is better because you do want people look up to you people take your uh, take your body language to motivate themselves or at the same time people want to feel your team wants to feel that they know you personally they know you closely um so i think my biggest failure uh, has been that i have let myself uh, not be the best part of me or i have realized or i have let my personal stress anxieties and follies get in the way of my own uh, growth as opposed to other people doing that i think that's uh, i'm still working on it i'm sure a lot of people have that uh, mixture of imposter syndrome and uh, the unending stress of running a startup but i think that's that's hands down biggest failure ever yeah yeah and i i think that's an important one to to be very realistic about uh you know it's i i hear more people talking about mental health uh in this day and age which is great i think it's very important just to be real about it and be like yeah building a company is hard as shit like it <laughs> it is mentally taxing and it mm-hmm. tests your anxiety and mm-hmm. you, you know it's like such a roller coaster that it's like going great one day and then it's going terrible the next And you know for me I'm not a founder myself I've been lucky enough to be involved with a startup that's doing well from a, a very early stage and even as somebody that's just involved in the team I don't even have the entire company on my back I you know I've always aspired to be an entrepreneur but I was very naive about how hard it actually was until you get close to an entrepreneur who's doing it and you get you get to feel that fire yourself being at an early stage company and it is intense and I think that that's another aspect of like why it's so important to have community around you and to share those things with your community and be realistic about when you're going through and when you're struggling and how you've gotten through things yourself and uh yeah i think it's just a very important whether it's a failure or a challenge or a learning to share to talk about more um so i appreciate you sharing that uh the next one what what about what about some wins some some things that went well that you can pull out that you would want to share with other entrepreneurs I think the biggest win at least on a personal level um it's uh, just some context i come from a city called cochin in india which is in the south part of india typically people from that region from the south part of india 
are very risk averse they are very motivated by academic and profession and corporate success they are very usually very humble very modest um, in what they do what they achieve typically not great businessmen um typically very very like i said risk averse so i come from that region of india and so when i began my startup um when i came here my parents were very cautious or they were advising me to be cautious because you know it's it's hard let alone in a different country let alone with no you, nobody being your godfather or nobody helping you out um, at an early stage so the the probability of failure is massive um, it's always massive but at that time it's 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 exponential um, and so and after you know we worked our way through a lot of good things happened community support um being extremely lucky in a lot of ways um i think my biggest win is that now they look up uh, they look at what i've done and they are very proud of me um i think that has been on a personal level very very deeply emotional level has been very fulfilling very satisfying to me so even if my startup shuts down tomorrow i will have no regrets because i i made them feel even slightly a bit proud of me so i think that is um uh, that has uh, driven me and impacted me to a great extent same thing with my wife she's even though she has been brought up here her family is from the same part of india very risk averse um, she is also happens to be very risk averse but uh, you know looking at everything looking at everything that we that has been happening even she and her parents are proud of me so i think that's been one of my biggest uh, successes hands down as a result of this journey that i was part of i love that that's great um, well, one of the other, you know, things we like to discuss on the podcast, you know, we started off talking about how great the ecosystem was and the community and what it's been like for you to kind of be an outsider coming into it and how welcome you, you felt. Um, but I think that also gives you an opportunity to have a really unique perspective as somebody that was not a part of it before and kind of got to view it with fresh eyes when you came into it. Um, what, what, is, what would be your critique of this, of Kentucky startup ecosystem? What, what does this ecosystem need more of? What should it double down on? Anything that kind of comes to mind is, you know, if you were just putting feedback out into the ecosystem to help it improve, what what would that be? I think there is a little bit of a flywheel effect that happens in this community. Uh, the more that people want to give back, the more the community grows. So it's a rising rising tides raises all boats kind of a situation. Um, so right now, one critique, no, not a critique, just a reality, is that we have very less number of entrepreneurs or people working in startups um as compared to the what what other cities nearby do um and that could have been because of a lot of reasons um and so that restricts our ability to give that flywheel um, there is only so many entrepreneurs steven can help or i can help or anyone else can help and that gets it very limited to the space but once we have that strong inflow of entrepreneurs who are coming in um i think that flywheel will grow so fast i have very little doubt that within the next 10 to 20 years we might louisville might be one of the biggest cities or one of the biggest regions uh economically and in the sense of startups um uh, in, in just in the midwest and probably a little expanded beyond that as well so i think that could be one area where if there was a situation or if there was some kind of public maneuvering which encouraged other entrepreneurs to come to the region come to kentucky southern kentucky to kind of uh, have that ability to get of course get all the support not not demand it but 
gain that amount of support that they come over here and see how wonderful the city is um the potential is just unbelievably massive yeah i feel like there's so much good stuff going on at once it just none of it's going to be instant you know like a story like yours where you you were brought in because your company was worthy of investment from from render and as part of that you got to come and visit louisville and eventually move here i mean i think that's programs like that are are great but it's also that has to happen alongside the community building sorts of things where things like what middle tech's doing trying to tell stories and things like what amplify and awesome inc and all these other kind of community organizations are doing making sure that once entrepreneur entrepreneurs actually get here like your experience they have a community to just kind of step into immediately and you know then there's also the aspect of really tapping into our college communities and making sure that students coming out of our universities know that there's a startup ecosystem here and know how to access that and so you know especially in a time right now i feel like right now it's kind of a down cycle just because interest rates are so high and vc funding is kind of dried up for the most part we're probably going to see a little bit of a lack of new companies getting getting spun up over the next year to year to few years but i just i see so many positive things happening uh, in this state that that give me a lot of you know a big sense of optimism and as we kind of talk about the future and thinking about what things are going to look like you know in the next three to five to ten years uh, as i mentioned at the beginning of this the kind of the purpose of the spotlight series we're doing is we hope to follow entrepreneurs in their in their journey so you know this is your first time getting coming on the podcast we got to learn about your business, what kind of where you are in the state of your business currently. Uh, next time we'll have you on, whether it's, you know, let's say somewhere between one year to three years from now, what what are we going to be talking about next time we have you on? What are your goals? What do you hope to accomplish by then? I sincerely, sincerely hope that with the trajectory that we are building, we, we are in a position to help out a lot more brands, a lot more entrepreneurs in the e-commerce space. Just like Salesforce is the most renowned SaaS software for salespeople, I would hope that Xena would be the most renowned um, SaaS solutions for brands that have an e-commerce presence. That means all the brands uh, in the world. And because of, again, all the support that I've received, I would hope that Louisville would be the 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 center for all that is happening and you know there is good reason for it we are centrally located we have the ups headquarters which is like the spine of e-commerce at this point we have great cities around us within an hour or two hour drive it i see no reason why louisville cannot be the next e-commerce hub e-commerce tech hub um for the entire country at this point so hopefully when we speak in a year year or two uh, I might have given my very small contribution to making sure that that actually happens uh, at that stage. So that is that is truly my goal. Of course, like you know, and like everyone knows, the future is uncertain. Nobody knows what is going to happen. But I would hope that um, on a personal level, I play that small role in making sure that that happens. Well, I love that. You got to aim high. Mm -hmm and, and yeah. keep working towards it. So, mm -hmm. well, it's been awesome talking with you, uh, Akil, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on here. And we'll be excited to keep up with your successes and your journey of building Xena Intelligence. And I, I've got to say, again, thanks for inviting me, but what you guys are doing at Middle Tech, it's invaluable without, I mean, it's not just, you know, just launching podcasts and videos and recordings. It really does have an impact on people's lives it really does have an it had impact on my life one of the reasons like i said i moved over here and i was able to know how vibrant how connected 
how um, how energetic everyone was about the concept of entrepreneurship in the region. I think what you guys are doing are amazing, probably very unique. Um, and I hope that uh, I hope you continue doing that, continue supporting, continue taking, bringing the word out. Um, and I'm I'm so honored to be uh, one small part of that. Well, that means a whole lot to hear you say that. So thank you for that, sincerely. 